Hello, and welcome to Red Beans and Advice, a production of Sheck Snyder Wealth Advisors. My name is Katie Hain, an account executive. My name is Jesse Duhon. I'm a financial advisor. My name is Nolan Sheck Snyder. I'm the founder and senior financial advisor. Welcome back to Red Beans and Advice podcast. I'm Jesse Duhon. We're in episode three. It is July 15th. For some people, it felt a lot like April 15th because unlike a lot of years, this was a tax deadline. It was tax day for everybody. So I hope you got your payments in. Hope you got your paperwork filled. Or nope. filed your extension forms. Filed your extension. Hope you did all that. I think we're all good boys and girls. We at least we at least did the last version. We at least extended, right, everybody? That's correct. <laughs> I think mine's been paid since like February. So <laughs> see, you're ahead of the game, right? Um, so good luck out there with your taxes. I hope that worked out for you uh, in this crazy year in our world. It's uh, it's hot here in Louisiana. So if you're listening from somewhere else. Odds are it feels a little better than it does out here right now. We had a heat index of, what, 115 a few days ago? 123. Raw temperature 99 and 123, I think it was the day before yesterday. Yeah. I didn't know that. New new record at the airport. Oh, my gosh. That's not fair That's why I stay inside. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So (laughs) stay inside if you could. Listen to a podcast or two, right? You know, here we are in July. Tax deadline has happened. But since the last time we talked to you, we were discussing retirement accounts. We told you about Roth IRAs, and we gave you a lot of good information on those and why those are a good thing to uh, at least consider as part of your financial plan. But in the spirit of it being related to taxes, some folks uh, need to do a different version of an IRA, one that lets them write off some income in the year that they're putting money into it. So today's topic is the traditional IRA, probably the most widely used retirement vehicle for individuals, I would say. And we call it traditional, but as Nolan points out all the time, it wasn't always called traditional. It used to just be called what? An IRA. An IRA. It was just an IRA. So if you want, you can call it the original IRA. That's right. That's right. So it was the one that was around first. And it's uh, it's it's in a lot of ways, sort of as we were talking about Roth IRAs, the mirror image or sort of the inverse of a Roth IRA in that you're going to get a tax deduction when you put the money in and the money's going to go in a deferred fashion as opposed to that Roth. Remember from last episode, you don't get any tax break for putting it in. But what happens, it was going to grow tax free. So sort of a different thing. Uh, but they have in common that they are IRAs and there's some limitations. We're going to get to a lot of it. We ask ourselves a big question before we get into this. Why someone would save for retirement? Well, a main reason is Social Security in its current form probably will not exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, mathematically, the generations since World War II have not produced enough offspring to mathematically support Social Security in its current form. Mm-hmm. So after 2035, unless things are changed, the government will not have the finances to pay Social Security payments, Mm -hmm. meaning you should be looking out for yourself, Jesse. Yeah, you got to look. That's what the I in IRA is for, individual. It's all about you, right? It's all about you. You got to help yourself. Got to be selfish. Mm -hmm. So why someone would save for it is because, you know, maybe you're more capable now than the future you would be, right? And you're doing that future version of you a big favor for every dollar you save. Because when it comes down to, uh, we always say retirement age, 
but retirement's really more of a financial status than it is an age. People retire at all kinds of different ages. So what's going to help you do that? Probably the stuff you helped set aside and these deferred retirement assets, IRAs and, and, the, and the like, usually make up a very large part of that. Nolan's going to first, he wants to talk to us about some of the, the aspects of an individual retirement account. And he's going to give us an example of how those deductions work since his, his brain has been on tax mode all day today. Essentially, you can reduce your taxable income by the amount you put in a traditional IRA. Historically, that contribution has to be completed by April 15th following the year the deduction is for. So the 2019 contribution would have historically been due by April 15th. However, this year was abnormal, so they gave you until today, July the 15th, to make the contribution. But mm -hmm. in all other years, the limit is April 15th or the day you file your return. If you make a tr traditional IRA contribution, it's a direct reduction from taxable income. So if your taxable income was $50,000 and you put $5,000 in a traditional IRA, you would pay tax on $45,000. So if you were in a 15% tax bracket, essentially in, say, 5% state, the government, federal and state government, would be paying 20% of the contribution because that $1,000 you would save in taxes uh, would have otherwise gone to the government. Mm -hmm. Roth is kind of the IRS version of you pay me now. The traditional IRA is the version of you pay me later and you pay tax at whatever the tax bracket is when you take it out. What about that, Nolan? Was, uh, people are always kind of dealing with that idea of like, okay, you're, you're sitting there painting the full picture. A lot of times they're looking for you and advice. Well, what can I do about this tax bill i got in front of me? And a lot of times you might be coming up with an answer that says, well, just like what you said, you can pay taxes now or pay taxes later. Do you have any opinions on the matter? What do people typically do? How do they respond to that usually? My opinion is I would prefer the, to pay the taxes now while the brackets are lower. However, most taxpayers choose to pay the taxes later because if they have to pay the taxes today, they need to write the check today. So they <laughs> tend to procrastinate the tax bill until they get to spend the money. Mm -hmm. And that happens pretty much regardless of what tax bracket they in. Gotcha. Nobody wants to pay taxes today. And they get forced to start taking money out at some point, right? So when they get older, we've had rules for a long time. How are the rules now? What's new about the, the distribution rules for older IRA participants? Historically, you could tax defer the IRA and delay the first withdrawal until you were 70 and a half. When they passed the SECURE Act, one of the provisions is you could delay it until 72. Uh, so consequently, there's a little bit longer period that you can wait to start drawing it out. When you start drawing it out, they make you take it out over your life expectancy. That li life expectancy is calculated to 115, although we don't guarantee you you will live to 115. That's how it's calculated. Uh, you can take a larger distribution, but if you take a smaller distribution, there is a 50% tax penalty. So most people, if they do it once, they never do it again. Yeah, that's a big penalty. That's the biggest one in the tax book as far as I've seen. There is one exception to RMD. So if you specifically don't want to take an RMD, you don't want the money and you don't want to pay taxes on the money, what's your only option, Nolan? You can do something called a qualified charitable distribution. Uh, the way you do it is you 
instead of drawing the money out, putting it in your checkbook and writing a check to a charity, it goes directly from your IRA to the nonprofit beneficiary or recipient. That gives you a little bit better tax break than you would get normally under existing law because most people can't itemize currently. Yeah, right. So you can just draw that pipeline right from your IRA to be at the church basket or the donation bucket, wherever you were going to send that money and skip the idea of you having to pay taxes on it in the first place, right? That's correct. Okay. Well, sometimes people say, well, you know, if I'm putting it away, I don't know if I want to put it away till I'm 72. Mm-hmm. So if you just, if for whatever reason you need to access it, if you have attained the age of 59 and a half, you only have to pay tax on it and you can take any amount you want out after you attain the age of 59 and a half and you just pay income tax. If you take it prior to 59 and a half with a few exceptions, you would generally pay a 10% penalty in a, in addition to the income tax. Yeah, so pretty hefty, right? I mean, 10% plus tax, that's, that's by definition, that's making that some of the most expensive money you're going to be able to find in that position. Right? right, so generally speaking, if you put it away, you want to leave it until you can avoid the 10% penalty. Yeah, sure. Okay, thanks, Noel. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'm going to give you a little bit more about traditional IRAs. Okay, welcome back in. We're going to continue our discussion about traditional IRAs. Katie's got some points. She gave us a lot of good topics last time we were talking about Roths, and she explained how the money grows, what an advantage it is if you get it started early. And a lot of that applies to traditional IRAs. So, Katie, what's some things that uh, specifically younger people, but really anybody, needs to know about traditional IRAs and some of their best uses? Right. So, like I said, or like Jesse said, And that Roth episode, I talked about how the Roth is ideally better for the younger person, but not everyone is the exact same. So you might be in a situation where you are making a decent amount of money and you happen to have just like no dependents. So you are going to be kind of in that higher tax bracket. And what Nolan spoke to earlier, you, you want to be able to kind of reduce that income. So what you can do is make that contribution to the traditional IRA and be able to deduct that on your income. So kind of helping to reduce that taxable income. If you are 49 and younger, you can do a $6,000 contribution. So whatever you're making, just reduce that by Mm $6,000. And that's just one of the ways, right? Yeah. And you said younger. So I mean, specifically someone who might not have all of the the other things you gather in life where you can deduct those taxes. Some of those guys, some of those gals are out there making a lot of money and they don't have kids. Some of them are even renting an apartment and they don't have mortgages. They don't have any of these things. So you go ask your tax guy like Nolan, well, what can I do? Okay, well, this is about what you can do, right? Yeah, just to at least help yourself. Like yeah. just give yourself an edge. And like you said, you're looking, you're looking, you're still looking towards the future and you're still helping prep yourself for that future you, which I would imagine that future you would most likely enjoy that you did this. Also, what a lot of people my age or may or may not know or realize is that if they're working for an employer, typically they'll have some kind of employer-sponsored retirement plan. Usually it's that 401k. Well, so they're being good and they are putting the money into the 401k and they think that's just it. Well, 
this is kind of like two separate buckets. You have your employer-sponsored retirement plan, and then you also can still do an, a traditional IRA or even a Roth IRA, honestly, if you wanted to. And just going forward, whenever you put into that 401k, reduces that taxable income. And then whatever, if you add extra money to that traditional IRA, it will also still reduce that taxable income. So like Jesse said earlier, if you're young, you don't have dependents, you're not having all these things that can help get that tax bill down, I would heavily suggest looking into contributing to both just to kind of help yourself out. You do need to check your uh, your income guidelines, though, and it's yeah. real important, right? So it's uh, at a certain point, even though those two aren't mutually exclusive, the idea that you are offered that workplace plan it just affects how much you could, de- to what extent you could deduct right. it and, and put the thing in, right? There are limits on deductibility, ba- both based on income and based on if you're covered by a plan right. at, at your employer. So just be aware of that and look into it. Right. So it's always best to talk to someone if you don't exactly understand or know all the secret gems that there are. What about Katie? Like, so a lot of kids now, when they get out of college, it's, I say kids because myself included, but (laughs) people get out of college, it's, it's less common now for one of them to find that dream job right away or be totally satisfied with that job right away. You said a lot of workplaces offer retirement plans. A lot of them switch jobs, right? And right. it's common. We hear it all the time. Oh, I got this thing over here. I forgot all about that. I got this for them. I used to have it. I don't know what it's in it anymore. So how can an IRA fit into that? What, what happens? So the beauty of IRAs is they have this one called technically a IRA rollover. And so if you are younger and you kind of are switching jobs, that's perfectly fine. And we do encourage you to always contribute to whatever that employer sponsor retirement plan is but if you do leave that employer then make sure you get that statement and what you can do is roll over the assets from that plan into an ira and what this allows you to do is basically compile funds into one single account it's going to help you consolidate and then this way you're not having to track all these old retirement plans what is it doing where is it going what is it invested in and so you're able to kind of singularly focus that, okay, I have these old funds still invested. They can determine what they want to invest in. And if you're at the current employer, do that plan as well. So it's a great way to just kind of consolidate those assets as you continue to grow and move. And hopefully you do find that dream job that you have and you don't have to constantly, obviously change jobs because that's also a I think a headache in its own self. So I think a lot of times people also get confused. They confuse the point of what was going on with that workplace retirement plan while they were working there. And then what happens afterwards. Yeah. Right. So what happens afterwards, however vested you were when you left, that's how vested you are for eternity now. It's the clock won't keep ticking. Yeah. Some people think so. (laughs) They're like, we'll just leave it until we're there hundred percent. No, it's It's, better. You're done. Yeah. Yeah. Just take it, consolidate it, get it into that one account. And that way you're not having to keep up with old statements and young people, like Jesse said, you might be renting and then you buy a house. Well, if you forget to let all of those plans know that you moved, then now you're really not going to be getting statements and it's going to be a hunt to try to find those assets. And those plans a lot of time, a lot of times have incentives to get you off of the books. Yeah. So we've seen this on both ends, both as a a party to an old job where I needed to go track it down 
and in a fashion where we were helping companies, you know, develop and sort of clean up their own retirement plans. You got to think about it from the plan's perspective. They don't want a bunch of non-employee, smaller balances laying around. It just creates costs for them. Eventually, they'll sort of shuttle those assets out. And now you've got the job to go find. Really it's not in the it. plan anymore. Oh, they opened some other IRA for me. I don't know where that is. It can be a headache for organization alone. Usually you want to control those assets. The IRA lets you control them, right? Exactly. One last thing to keep in mind, if you plan on retiring early and you have money in a 401k, a 401k is going to allow you to take that money, as current law stands at least, at age 55. As far as IRAs are concerned, your retirement age is 59 and a half. There's a few loopholes and exceptions, as we said before, uh, but that would be one of the main differences if you're deciding on rolling from a 401k to an IRA that whole early retirement period and how you'd get the money out. So talk to your planner, talk to us, talk to somebody when you're rolling it over, make sure that fits for what your plans are. Right, exactly. So like I said, it's great to retire early, but you always want to make sure you do what's best for you and that retiring early works out in the end. And then leading into my last point about pretty much like an income age, not income age, an age to start an IRA. There is no age limit. As long as you have earned income, that is your defining source is if you can contribute to an IRA. So if you have earned income, you can contribute. So if you're a child actor or you happen to be a teenager who has a summer job, if you are having that earned income, you can contribute to that IRA. The max you can do is 6000 or your earned income. That's your other total. limit. Right. Yeah. So if you only made 3000 3000 is your limit. Right. That's right. the only yeah. amount. So depending on where you're at and for the parents out there, you can open it up for your child. It will be in the child's name. You're just going to be custodian of it until they reach age, age of majority, which is typically 18, I believe, in most states. So it's a great way to get them to learn about money, get them to learn about saving for retirement, really actually get them to learn about what investing is because you can bring them in on what you're getting the money invested in, really. And as they get older, kind of bring them in more and more on what you've been doing so that one day when they do take it over, they understand it and understand why they have this money set aside and they don't want to just squander it and blow it because they see free money. Right, right. And like we talked about it with the Roths too, for kids, a lot of times the assumption is maybe they're not earning a lot. Maybe this is the only thing they're earning. So keep in mind that Roth from the last episode. Okay, if we're talking about a teenager and they're not earning a lot, you're going to have to consider a Roth because maybe they don't need a tax break, but not every kid's the same. Not every reality is the same. Think of kids, like she said, child actors. We see right. that. Someone who might have inherited something and they, all of a sudden they have income they couldn't control, but to have income in this year, consideration there too. Exactly. So um, traditional IRA is pretty much useful for anyone at this age, honestly. And I believe we might have said this earlier, but I'll throw it in here again, that even if you're 72, it used to be once you had to start taking your required minimum distributions at 70 and a half, you had to stop contributing to that IRA, even if you were still working. But now, one, it's been pushed back to age 72 that those RMDs start. And then also what they now allow is still adding money to that IRA if you're still working. So in a way, you're taking out what you have to, but if you're still working, you can 
kind of almost replace a little bit of that money. So kind yeah. of works out in the end. Yeah, here's your required amount for what you already have saved up. But, oh, wait, you're working. You're still allowed as long as income allows to put money in. Right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And 50 and older, you get 7000 to be able to add to that traditional IRA. And 49 and younger, you are up to 6000 or your earned income limit. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. All right. My turn here. I'm going to talk to you about wealth transfer, which is our term in the biz for dying. It's a nicer sounding term, but it happens to all of us, right? And especially when we're talking about finances, this is always a concern. So I'm going to give you in list format, top three things to know about IRAs and wealth transfer. The first one, you can, and you absolutely need to name beneficiaries. I could think of a few examples of where this has gone wrong, but practically I'll say the reason it goes wrong is the most troubling part. If you think about when you're opening an account with someone like us, you know, you've made the decision, I trust you, here comes this money, roll it into this IRA. I've got all the information, we do all the paperwork, we get to beneficiaries. Do you know your wife's social security number? You know what, I don't have it. Uh, I don't have the kids' social security number. I don't have their dates of birth. You should have that, right? <laughs> but <laughs> Hopefully you, know, you remember it. Yeah, right. You're missing some piece to fill out the form. And I've seen it. I've seen it in person. The instinct is, you know what? I'll fill that in later. Can I do something like put my estate? Or can I just put nothing? Because I've only got this one wife and this one kid. Naturally, it would go to them anyway. These are huge traps, don't fall into these traps. We're not going to do these things. We're going to keep our beneficiaries named because with IRAs, things can get squirrely if you don't have the beneficiary named. All of the advantages and how the retirement account will transfer to that person can really get lost if they have to then filter back through an estate and then get into the person's name. Okay, so just know that. I'm not going to get into too much of it, but you've got to get your beneficiary's name. The second thing to know about IRAs and wealth transfer. Inheriting an IRA is different now than it was before. And by now, I mean 2020 and beyond, as opposed to every year prior to this. The main difference is if you inherit an IRA from someone other than your spouse, okay, a spouse is still the same. You inherit a spouse's IRA, for all intents and purposes, it's your IRA. So all the distribution rules and everything are going to be the same. If you're not a spouse, okay, mainly I'm talking about if you're a kid, and you're going to inherit a parent's IRA, what's going to happen to you? Well, used to be a set of rules that would say, hey, kid, here's this IRA money. We're going to just make you take it out slowly over the course of your life. Obviously, as you take it out, you're paying income tax on that money, right? So the advantage is to do that slowly if you don't need the money, because then you're paying less taxes on a deferred asset that's hopefully growing while it's being deferred. The rule now, instead of being able to do that over your lifetime, is that you're gonna have to do that over a 10-year period, okay? And it's the next 10 years. It's not, you know, you can't just pick, yeah, yeah, I'll pick a 10-year period. How about 15 (laughs) years from now? No, it's the next 10 years. And the reason that that's sort of a sneaky thing from the the government here is that you know, this is a deferred investment. They, they've they been a little liberal with all the other things. Katie mentioned, okay, you can add to them later in life. Uh, they're always upping, you know, who can add and how much you can add. So where's the take back? This is the take back. They've shortened that amount of time that certainly everyone's going to go through when you die. The person that inherits it, they know they're getting that money in 10 years. Okay, so that's that's the rule. The big exception there is if you are within 10 years of age yeah. of 
the original owner. So think about siblings, okay? Maybe I've got an older sister and she's got IRA money and she doesn't have kids or for whatever reason, I was just a really good brother. I'm a beneficiary on the IRA. If I'm within that time period, if I'm within 10 years of her age, I'm going to then be able to defer it just like anyone was going to be able to before, which is over the course of my life. So a neat little sort of one-off, if you fall into that category, you're going to have a longer period of time to keep that in the deferred investment and not have to pay taxes in that sort of accelerated fashion over the 10 years, okay? Last one, just kind of a concept, and this comes from experience in dealing with people later in life. Whoever spends the money pays the taxes, And what I mean by that is a lot of times we'll run into people where, for lack of a better term, everything sort of went right. They saved money. They had money left over in the IRA. We're looking at their spending. We've got their plans, their wishes, desires. All the boxes are checked. And now they, it looks like we've got a little extra, right? So what are they going to do with it? Well, if they distribute it in their lifetime and want to actually hand cash to a person, they're paying the taxes, right? But if they go the other route, and just name the beneficiaries, maybe they don't have that direct joy of seeing the money come into that person's hands. There's nothing saying you can't tell them what's, what they're going to get, right? You totally exactly. can't. We're all just sort of secretive about it from, from my experience, but you can tell them, you know, what to expect. And then when they get it, they, they have, you know, they will have to pay the taxes on it, but you were able to keep the, the tax deferred growth going longer in that aspect. So it's sort of a choice, but you will have that choice, right? If you're lucky to have saved enough and get to that point in life. That's my three things to know about wealth transfer and IRAs. Anything else you need to add, Katie? I would just say this. We, we've touched on now Roth IRA and a traditional IRA. And the IRA scope, there's a lot. Um, so we didn't, those are your, obviously your two most popular, I would say, and your two most well-known, but depending on your situation, maybe one of the other IRAs that are out there possibly could be for you, namely small business owners, things like that. While these two that we just discussed are all and traditional, there are, they are very good investment vehicles. Also, if you're in like a special circumstance, get with whoever you trust your financial advisor, whoever, and just see, is there another plan out there that's maybe better for you? Mm-hmm. Because those other IRAs, the those income limits will go up, what you can add will go up. So they just become a little bit more beneficial depending on if that's in your circumstance. Yeah, right. If you're listening to this and you're self-employed, 100%, you need to talk to somebody because all of the yeah. rules are different for you than they are for someone who's not self-employed. Uh, you probably realize that by the complication in your tax return. <laughs> right? exactly, so it it shouldn't be a surprise. So so we picked the Roth and the traditional to start off with because they're pretty general. Yeah. Right? I mean, anybody within income limitations can access them and use them. But for sure, there's an encyclopedia worth of other options depending on your case. So uh, stay in touch about those. As a reminder, you can find us on the web. Also, we've updated our website. So go take a look. Shexwealth.com. You can email me for questions. That's jesse, J-E-S-S-E, at shexwealth.com. And go ahead and check us out on Facebook. We'll see you in a month. Actually, you will hear from us in a month on the next podcast. Good cover. (laughs) That's right. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, or if you would like to connect with us, visit ShexWealth.com. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Securities offered through Satara Financial Specialist, LLC, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through Satara Investment Advisors, LLC 
Satera entities are under separate ownership from any other named entity.